0: Thanks for joining us online for today's message from our Sunday morning service where we are learning how to make disciples who love God, love others, and serve the world. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged. For more information about Wilmot Center Missionary Church, go to wcmc.ca. Now prepare your hearts for what God wants to speak to you today.
1: I'm James Ferber and I am the director of next generation ministries here at wilmot and um, i have a, I have a great job um, it's exciting it's fun no two weeks are the same um, if you're looking for somewhere to plug in and you like excitement and you don't like boredom come join us come join us at youth so they're an awesome bunch um, today we are going to be continuing on with our better together series and we'll be wrapping it up and it's been a four-part series that we've been going through and uh, we've been looking at all the different parts of being a community and how God brings us together and his purpose is for community. He is community. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And some of the things we've been led through are, um, we looked at, well, being a part of a community can be hard. We talked about how people can drive you crazy. That was part one. Then we looked at how community helps us to better connect with God because God is community. And when we live in community, we have a better picture, better connection with God because we're living in the way he designed us. And then we talked about how when we live in community, we're better able to overcome our weaknesses. We help each other along. We minister to each other. And um, I just wanted to, to thank Pastor Rob and Mark Don for doing such a great job of leading us through the first three parts. And uh, so today I have the privilege of kind of wrapping it up. and um, it's excited and a little worried. I'm like, oh no, I'm the last word. All right, God, give me something really good here. Um, and uh, he has put something on my heart, and I just pray that it ministers to you. And uh, what we're going to be talking about today is better together to leave a legacy, okay? And we, we really are God's legacy. His greatest creation, the all creation, he said it is good, but with us, he said it is very good. And we're in his image. And uh, I wanted to look at the word legacy, because I was kind of battling with it, like, what does legacy mean? How do you describe it? So I'm going to try and describe it a little bit before I get into a little bit more of um, what it means um, and how to do it. So legacy is, when I looked in the dictionary, it means a gift by will especially of money or other personal property. So an example would be, she left me a million dollars in her will. That is a legacy. It's a good legacy. Um, it can be something transmitted by or received from an ancestor or predecessor or from the past. Um, it can be something like this. An example is the war left a legacy of pain and suffering. Another meaning is relating to or it's associated with something being carried, over, being carried over from an earlier time. So that's what we're talking about. And I found a, another definition I wanted to read to you just before I get going here. It says, a legacy is heritage, something passed down from previous generations. A legacy is what lives on after you die. It's your imprint. The question is not whether you will leave a legacy, but what kind of legacy will you leave? Will it involve attributes like humility, faithfulness, service, and love? Many of us are familiar with legacies of such noteworthy people as Martin Luther King Jr., Mother Teresa, Billy Graham. But what legacies of people who are not well-known? People like me. People like you. What about the legacies left by those living ordinary lives, making small, continual impacts day-to-day with the choices they make and the paths they choose? Whether or not we realize it, we are all forging a legacy to be left after we no longer are here to shape it. <clears throat> We're all a part of that. So in order for something to become a legacy, it has to last the test of time. So I'm going to give you a couple illustrations of legacies. Um, one of how not to leave a legacy, and then one of what it means to la- leave a legacy. And I never thought I'd use an illustration from this movie. It was a movie I watched when I was a teenager. It's was kind of one of those... Cult classic. You know, if you didn't watch it, your friends were all talking about it. Um, there's an illustration I want to use from the movie Dumb and Dumber. I never thought I'd pull that into a sermon, but I thought there was something that fit. So let me just describe it a little bit. Um, there are these two characters, Harry and Lloyd, and they're not extremely bright, but they're well meaning. They come across an, uh, a suitcase at an airport, it's left behind. Now, unbeknown to them, It was left by someone other than who they thought, and um, they get involved in uh, a crime ring without knowing it, but they want to return it to its owner. Well-intentioned, they're on a mission, they're like, we're going to bring this back to the owner. Along the way, they accidentally open the suitcase, which it was locked, and in it they find that it's filled with money. So they have some decisions at that point. Do we use this? What do we do? And they think, you know what? It's okay to use some of it to get to the person, um, but we should definitely leave an IOU in there just so that they can make, keep track of it and we can pay them back at the end. So eventually they find the person, they get there, they hand them their suitcase, they're so proud they've made it, and they don't even realize but when they open it, all it has is IOUs. So all of the money is gone, and they are not able to replace it. They've squandered it, they've lost it all. So. That's not a legacy. You have to have something left behind. It has to be there. And uh, they left a legacy of empty promises. That's what they left. Now, when I was thinking of legacy, too, I'm a big sports fan. I thought of uh, the New York Yankees. Now, as a Blue Jays fan, they're the enemy. But they've left a real legacy. So if you're not familiar with sports, um, they're one of the most successful franchises in history. And I'll tell you why. Baseball has been going on for over 100 years, 27 of those years, the Yankees have won the World Series. It's almost a quarter of the World Series that the Yankees have won. It's, it's, It's ridiculous because the next closest team is the Cardinals. They've won 11. Now, when you sign up to become a Yankee, you are signing up to become a part of a prestigious team that does things a certain way, that have been passed on from generation to generation, and you just have to become a part of that. Now, they do some things that no other teams do. Um, One of the things is they actually demand that you are clean-shaven and you cut your hair short. Now, think of a lot of your sports um, icons and think of them being willing to submit to those rules. Well, they all do when they become a Yankee. You will not report to their clubhouse until you have shaved your face, you've cut your hair. So they've had some big stars like John Carlos Stanton. He was a home home run leader... Last year, um, they also have, this year, they brought Andrew McCutcheon, big star. Before they could even come to the stadium, they cut their hair. He put it on Twitter, and people were like, I never thought you'd cut your hair. Now, the Yankees' rival, Boston, it seems like they have a rule where you aren't allowed to cut your hair. So they have all these shaggy guys with beards, and it's, it was an interesting matchup when you saw them playing. It looked like the Mountain Men versus your business executives playing, um, but there's a way the Yankees do things. And when you become a part of their team, you become a part of their way of doing things. They have a legacy that they've left behind. Now, Jesus left a legacy, an incredible legacy. Uh, he started with a group of 12 guys, um, even smaller than a baseball team. And from there, it's grown, and it's grown, and it's grown. And his imprint has been left firmly on our world. So if you go and look now, I was looking on Google, trying to figure it out. So they, they estimate that about 2.2 billion people in the world call themselves Christian, It started with one man, and that's a legacy. How did that legacy happen? How did it carry on? How did it get to that point? Well, I want to talk about your families and how we leave a legacy and what God's design is for our families, and then I want to talk to you, too, about who's really a part of our family. What does family mean? Um, Kelly and I have been learning the, the, the balance that you have to have in life, so Uh, She and I both were working. We have two boys um, that were three and under at the the beginning of the year. And uh, it's hard. There's so much going on. You're at work, and then you're not at work, and then you're with the kids. And when you're with the kids, you want to have some time with the kids, and you're driving to one place or another. And I'm sure many of you know what I'm talking about. Probably seems like every night of the week you have something. It's like, when do I slow down? When do I get a, a breath of fresh air? And so oftentimes, especially in our Um, culture, it becomes very easy to start just focusing in on our own families. It becomes very easy to become in this mode of survival. I just got to get to this point, got to get to this point. Okay, I made it to the weekend. Let's have some family time. I'm not ready to bring everyone over. It can be hard to engage with a bigger community when you're on that kind of rat wheel, um, rat race, sorry, of uh, non-ending activity. So, we've been kind of walking through that and realizing, man, it gets really hard to have a community bigger than just your own little family in the midst of all the busyness that happens. And yet, I want to talk to you today about how God has called us to become a part of a bigger family, and how we need to work at that, and how that will change your lives, change your family, and change your community. Now, inviting others into your lives um, can be difficult. Now... Uh, I want to take a look at Jesus, and, um, oh, sorry, I'm jumping ahead here. I want to take a moment here to talk about family that has created a strong legacy at our church. And so, um, many of you may know them. Uh, they sit here in the front, and right now there's just one of them, uh, Matt Guyberson's up here. The reason being, his wife and his two daughters are downstairs helping in children's ministry, which they often do. They're very invested in many of our, in- our ministries. They've cultivated a strong circle of friends. And uh, over the past years, some of the things Matt has been a part of, uh, he's helped at VBC. He's helping with our young adults. He's taught Sunday school. He filled in for me when I was on paternity leave. He filled in for Pastor Wayne when he wasn't around. Um, I think he filled in for everyone at some point. When Chris was away, he filled in for him. Um, And uh, he also teaches in our our Sunday school downstairs. Now, his wife is plugged in there, too, is one of the lead teachers. And his daughters were part of VBC, and they're plugged into um, children's ministry, and they've really left an imprint here, and they're, they're leaving a legacy of, of, of relationship and people. And I wanted him to share just with you about how God's calling them to continue this legacy, but at a different place and a different time. And I felt like it kind of fit into the, how God wants to use us and how he, he's been using um, a family in our midst. So why don't you come on up, Matt? And I'm going to give him three questions and um, do this a little bit uh, interview style. And so Matt has been one of my biggest uh, helpers in youth. We have an amazing leadership team, and uh, Matt plugs in wherever he can and fills the gaps wherever we need someone. So the first question I want to ask you is, Matt, where has God called you? What is going on right now?
0: Oh, that's a big answer. Um, <laughs> long story short, um, God has called myself and my family to the city of Pembroke. He said, I am, or we are scheduled to move December 13th. So, so just in less than two months from today.
1: So that's, um, for some of you, that might be shock. Um, yeah. But I want to, Matt, to tell you a little bit of how God has been um, making this clear to them, that he's calling them to plug into a new community and start a new legacy. That can be hard when you've imprinted and you started to be your, your family. This is Matt's family and their, their family, his wife and their kids. But um, God's worried about a bigger family and a bigger picture. So how did God confirm that to you?
0: So God's done some really cool things in the last six year to six months of our lives and showing us that I said, there was something new coming, that he had something new in store for us. Last fall, some of you may remember, I said, I had a rock climbing accident. I fell 14 feet, broke a bunch of bones in my face. I said, I looked like Rocky after one of his fighting matches. And I said, God's healed me. I am just fine. Yes, you saw that dance. Um, <laughs> So this this summer, I, said, um, I was talking with Pastor Rob, and Pastor Rob felt as if he, he struggled asking me this because God had laid it on his heart to ask me about considering coming up to Pembroke to do ministry. And I said, that's crazy. I grew up near the city of Pembroke. I didn't think I would ever return home. <laughs> So I thought this was crazy. And so we continued to keep praying about it. We prayed about it. I, my wife and I prayed about it. The girls were praying about it. And we're like, okay, God, you need to continue to keep showing us signs. And so as a God had spoken, actually, we, we, were, at, we were at an event in Stratford, and there was actually somebody who had actually spoken over us, and that actually confirmed in us. We decided that weekend went, yes, God, that's the decision. We need to follow you. We need to go. And so we had decided that, yes, we're going to Pembroke. So then God started to confirm things and really made things very real for us. That weekend, so Saturday, I said, I'll paint the picture. Saturday, we've gi- we're given this word. I said, we confirmed we had decided. I said, we were praying about it as a family afterwards. And we asked the girls, I said, to see if God gave them a picture. Now, my youngest, I said, she prayed about it for a while. And she looked at me and said, Daddy, I saw a picture of a whole bunch of boxes. I think we're supposed to go. my oldest saw two colors. She saw a navy blue and a lime green. Right now I'll explain, I'll explain the navy blue. The navy blue is the same color for the logo of the city of Pembroke. I said, and she knew that we needed to go. Now I said, I'll explain the lime green in a minute. It's very significant, but I should get to a few other points. So so we were given we were given this and we had confirmed and said, All right God, we're in. This is what we're gonna do. So that Sunday, so the next day, we're like, Well, we need jobs. Mary was looking online at a salon very similar to the one that she would work at, but up in the city of Petawawa, just beside just beside Pembroke. I said, That evening, we had looked and we had seen we saw the salon throughout the summer. I said, but nothing nothing really stood out about it. She looked on their website that night, and that night I said, just as she had logged on there was a posting for a full-time licensed hairstylist. So my wife applied to that job and within three days had it. Said she hadn't even met anybody up there and already had the job. I said, as for me, I said, I already had a job. I, I had a job and I didn't have to be a part of the conversation. It's weird how that happens. I said, Rob's talking with the people in Pembroke. He's talking with the elders board there. And the head elder of that church goes, well, if Matt comes up here, he has a job. So, like I said, I had a job in a conversation I wasn't a part of. I said, "Rob got me a job, thanks." Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we continue to we continue to keep searching. Going, all right, God, we still we want to keep following you. We want to keep stepping out in faith. He said you continue to keep confirming things, and so this is where as in God, God does such the coolest things. So, two weeks ago, said, "Now we rent the place that we're in now," and my landlord showed up at my house one night after youth at about 9.30 at night. And he looked at me, and he was so... And I said, he was almost like he was heartbroken. I said, a wonderful Christian man, but he was heartbroken because he came in, and I said, and he, he was so saddened because he, his daughter and son-in-law were coming back from Australia, and he needed the place for them to live. So two weeks ago, I was handed an eviction notice for December 31st, and I couldn't be happier. <laughs> Because, see, all the while, while well, he's explaining all of this, I was so excited because I couldn't wait to tell him that I said, if you'd given us one more week, we would have told you the same thing, <laughs> that we were actually leaving. So isn't it cool how God continues to provide and orchestrate all things? Mm-hmm. So then this past weekend, I said, I was up in Pembroke looking at homes. We looked at six homes on Monday. I said, it was a busy day on Monday. But one, one of those homes stood out, and that was the one that we were supposed to buy. And so in the last six days, here's what's gone on. We have put in an offer. Now, this home, I said, you guys are all going to be shocked, because homes in the city of Pembroke, said, so this one was listed for $139,000. In Southern Ontario, that gets you nothing. I said, you all know this. So, but in Pembroke, I said, that's, that's a okay price, but I said... But God told me that I wasn't supposed to pay any more than $125,000 for this home. So, I put in an offer at 115000 Now, that's like $26,000 difference between us. So that's a, I'm like, all right, God, you're going to have to do something. So, they came back. They countered with $130,000. I'm like, but God, that's still not low enough. So, I came back with an offer of 121000 and... Wednesday night, I said they came back with an offer. I met every one of our conditions. I said there were no other conditions in this offer, but came back with an offer of 123000 Amen. Now, back to the lime green. So, I said, I said God speaks to us in really weird and crazy ways. In this house that I am buying... There are two rooms. Number one, the bedroom that Rain will be staying in is, in fact, lime green. And on top of that, I said that same lime green that's upstairs, the kitchen cupboards are that color. So I live in a very eccentric home. But so we are very excited about that. But God has been confirming and, and working out each and every step.
1: Well, you're a painter, though. It doesn't have to stay lime green, right? i sure your wife has other plans for it. And when you're there, what is your goal? How are you going to leave a legacy there? That's been kind of the reason you're going there. You're, if you can encapsulate that in a minute. So,
0: <laughs> in a minute, I'm giving time constraints. Um, so, God, God has put it on our heart. I said, uh, when we are there, I said, we are there to be reaching, I said, the youth and young adults of Pembroke. I said, to be preaching the word of God. I said, to partnering with the missionary church in Pembroke so that we can build, a, build up a youth ministry within that church. And ultimately, and I said my most exciting part, is that God's called me to be walking the streets of Pembroke, to be praying over and preaching his gospel.
1: Amen. Amen. Thank you, Matt. Do you want to take that with you? Thank you. I think I see a, a theme this morning. We had a couple people sharing about how God brings other people along to help them and direct them, and sharing God's word about... The legacy of um reaching people and changing people's lives so the legacy from here as their family is now being carried to another area where they will dig in and they will build a community and it, it's really all about community and that's why i wanted to match matt to share because it's really all about community and that's what we're looking to do better together is about community better together is about building our families but building them bigger than just our own families about having our friends become our families and when they're sharing brett and um rebecca here about the the life group and how it became their family i was like there's such a theme there's such a theme that's what god's wanting to do that's what this better together series is about is about families and um really you need to live in families i I just want there's an awesome story um and about jesus and how he lived in family in in a community in a bigger family and I just love this story. It's, it's kind of a, an interesting story, but at the same time, I thought, you know, it's such a, it's such a fitting story. So I don't know if you know about the story when Jesus got lost. And I'm going to kind of explain a little bit about that to you. So Jesus grew up in a family community. So when he went to the temple with his family, they didn't go to the temple alone. They traveled in a big community. They traveled with lots of families, the safest way to travel. And lots of people looking out after the kids and uh, the kids traveling together. It's a lot of fun. But something happened once they got there. So they stayed for a few days and then they began the journey home. A few days into the trip home, Mary and Joseph have a frightening and embarrassing conversation. They say, have you seen Jesus? And Joseph says, no, I thought he was with you. And Mary says, I thought he was with you can you imagine losing the Lord? <laughs> I'm sure they felt pretty bad at that point. Now, I always thought this was particularly humorous. They misplaced Jesus. But in a visit to Israel, you start to see why they would have. So when they travel, the women went first, then the children, and then the men. This is the safest way to commute. Hundreds of sojourners making their way to Jerusalem, grouped in these three packs. So it would make sense that if Joseph hadn't seen Jesus for a while, he just thought he was with other kids or with his mom. And Mary would have assumed that Jesus was either with the kids or with his dad. In this case, the massive community had its drawbacks. There's a risk to being in community. There's a risk to bringing more people into your network, into your family. But they knew the positives far outweighed the negatives. So there's um, some research from the Barna Institute. And one of the things it says is that the more voices you have in your children's lives saying the same things, the more likely they are to hear it. And isn't that true? They knew that. In that culture, Jesus grew up in. They knew that. And they cultivated that. So the Barna Research Group has said that teens that that have at least one adult from church make a significant time investment in their lives are far more likely to keep attending that church. You need a community bigger than just your own family. Now, isn't it true, too, when you talk to your kids and you tell them something again and again, somehow they hear it when someone else says it to them? Don't we need other voices saying the same things? Somehow I know that I would come home to my parents and say, you know, I just learned this at youth group or at camp, and yeah, I just the speaker said this and this, and my parents would look at me and be like, we've been telling you that, like, lots of times. and like, yeah, but it was different this time. It was, it was somehow I heard it this time. It was, it stuck with me, and that's why we need our faith community. Now, this lifestyle is kind of risky. It's easier to live in a community um, where we have safeguards in place, where we, you know, we have our gated communities, we have all of our things in place to keep us safe and at home, and even with this digital age, it's easier for people to stay at home than to go out and engage in community. You can, ha- you can bring everyone to you, but it's not the same. So the question I want to pose to you, are you willing to take the risk of not having other people in your life? Are you willing to take the risk of not having other people who can speak into and maybe help cultivate and change the lives of your children? It's a risk we're taking. And really, that's why we've been doing this whole series. We are better together there's something truly freeing about living in community. It takes a lot of the responsibility off of you as parents and shares it with people who are with you. Now, I know, like, I, we just had our third, and uh, she's a sweet little girl. She's two and a half months old. It's a lot of work. <laughs> when we have our parents come over and spend the day and hold her and rock her and play with her, I feel like I've gone on vacation. Um, I don't even have to leave home. And it's just, it's so freeing to have other people come in and be a part of your life and help you carry your your burdens or your your difficulties or give you a break. And um, it's something we all need in our lives. But it goes beyond just our immediate family. Our family is the church. Look around. This is your family. So a couple things that, um, one thing that my parents always did that has always spoken to me, and even the, and the, um, the book was talking about this too, is there's some little things you can do to build a community. Some little things you can do to build community. And uh, one thing my parents always did that stuck with me is there was always an open chair at our table, even with 18 people sitting there. Okay, so I grew up in a very large family. You may not know that about me. Fifteen brothers and sisters as I grew up. And somehow, there was always still an extra chair at the table. My mother loved having people come. If you've ever been to our house, you know my mother will cook an extravagant amount of food. She does that on purpose for a couple reasons. She's always ready for company to come. And hopefully, she won't have to cook for the next couple days. Now, that didn't always happen with 10 boys. Sometimes that plan didn't work out the way she wanted because 10 boys can eat a lot. But... We always had people joining us. And that always spoke to me, even with the amount of people we had there. Now, sometimes I thought, maybe it doesn't actually matter when you already have that many people there. Maybe they don't even notice. And But the reality is, they always did notice, and they wanted that. We actually used to play a game with my dad. Um, uh, we would wait to see how long it took him to see that there was someone new at the table. Um, <laughs> often he didn't notice, and we, used to, we didn't tell him on purpose. You would just have your friend join. They'd sit there. My dad would be eating. Um, and then at some point, some point he'd look up and say, who are you? When did you get here? We'd laugh and say, dad, this is my friend so-and-so. They've been here the whole meal. But he was fine with it. He was fine with it. But he was just, you know... You're better together. It was always more fun the more people you had there. And that's one one way we can cultivate that. Um, there's one story I want to share with you. And um, just I felt really illustrates this. And God kept leading me back to this. And this is what I'm going to kind of leave you with. And uh, just then I want to open it up at the end for people to kind of um, respond and uh, let God speak to you. And uh, we've really been traveling through the book of Nehemiah. So if you go back to our, our pre- week of prayer at the beginning of the year, we were looking at The book of nehemiah and we're really focusing on what did nehemiah do to rebuild the city he rebuilt the walls um, he rebuilt the city and he went through a lot of opposition and uh, we've really been looking at that as we're rebuilding our church and looking to um, establish some new things and um, the thing that struck me this time is we didn't look enough and i feel like god was directing me to me to this at this point how did he rebuild the people how did he rebuild the community? So I want to walk you through that. And I feel that that's where God was wanting me to take you and to leave you with that point. Now, for those of you who don't know who Nehemiah is, I'm going to give you a little background. So Nehemiah is the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes of Persia in 444 BC. He's Jewish, and his family was brought to Persia after Judah was destroyed, after Jerusalem was destroyed by the Persians in 586 B.C. They were captives, captives in a strange land. Nehemiah was a layman. He was an ordinary person. He wasn't a priest or a prophet or anything, but God used him mightily. He served the Persian king in a secular position before leading a group of Jews to Jerusalem in order to rebuild the city walls. Under Nehemiah's leadership, the Jews withstood opposition and came together together to accomplish their goal. The walls were rebuilt in record time. They accomplished something that no one thought they could. He left a legacy. When you hear the name of Nehemiah, there's a legacy that goes with that name. But the real story is of the people and how he works with the people and brings them together. So I want to walk you through that. So in chapter 2, verses 3 to 8, we read about Nehemiah and he enlists the help of the king. He goes right to the top. He knows he needs help. He's been praying and fasting, and God answers when we pray and fast. And he has this opportunity. He's sad. The king asks him, What's going on? And he says, I'm just kind of heartbroken. I heard about my hometown being in ruins, and I want to do something about it. And the king says, How can I help you? That's not the response he was expecting. He's a captive, their city was destroyed because they're rebellious. And they fought against the Persians, and the king says, "How can I help you? God's on his side." He enlists the help of some of the his own workmen to provide materials. He provides him with uh, an army to go down with, and, and a guard. And so Nehemiah starts to gather people, and he knows he needs people. In chapters three verses seventeen to eighteen, he's seen the city, and he has to go that next step. We have to get bigger. We have to go bigger. We have to start to build our communities bigger. He enlists the help of the Jewish leaders. He brings them in. He says, okay, here's the plan. Now this includes all the priests, nobles, officials, and anyone else in administration. And then he goes one step further. You need many people to do great things. In chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, he enlists the help of all the people. Everyone. Everyone comes together. These are untrained people. These are not skilled laborers he's bringing in to do a great work. You, you might think that's silly. I mean, Solomon built the walls the first time, and he had skilled labormen. He had skilled people doing all the work. Now, it's interesting. Um, archaeologists, when they've looked at the walls, and they've uncovered the previous walls that Solomon built, they look at them, and they go, wow, we can see a difference between those walls and the ones that Nehemiah built. They're perfectly squared stones. They're well put in there. Nehemiah's stones from that wall are not as well built. But they still serve the same purpose. And even better than that, what happened is the people came together. A community was formed that was not there before. Now, community is hard. Nehemiah had to work at it. Chapters 4, 21 to 23, Nehemiah has to help protect everyone. And then in the next chapter, chapter 5, he has to help solve problems because there's some fighting and there's things going on, some people were taking advantage of. The community is hard work. It doesn't come easily. But I think it's really important. There's one thing that really God impressed on me. God was looking for those people who had character and willingness to be part of the vision. He wasn't looking for the most skilled. There are a lot more people to work with when we are willing to accept people who are willing and committed rather than only the most skilled. Bill Hybels talks about this often, that you look at character first over ability. And that's what Nehemiah did. And they accomplished a great work. And it's even more impressive when you realize he didn't have skilled laborers. The work was imperfect. The walls were built by untrained people. But the community was built. And sometimes we need a great work to bring us together. That's what we're doing. The Four Wilmot, it's to bring us together. We can't make an impact in our community on our own. A legacy is only left with a group of people. That's when your legacy is truly impactful. Billy Graham left a legacy, but it's also all the people he impacted that carried that on. To accomplish something worthy of being called a legacy, it must be bigger than one person. To truly accomplish something big, God must be a part of it. So there's a story that Rusty George tells. It's a story about an old tree that used to stand outside their church in a neighboring parking lot. They started construction on a new church. And as they were doing it, a fence was put around this giant tree to protect it. Lights were installed to highlight its grandeur throughout the night. Cars would drive by day and night and marvel at this incredible tree. It looked impressive, and people wondered how long it would stand for. One morning when he went to work, he noticed the giant oak had collapsed during the night. It was discovered that the tree had rotted from the inside out. I fear our families are sometimes rotting from the inside out. Sometimes our community is rotting from the inside out. We focus too much on ourselves, and... We do that at the expense of having other people come in and help us. We keep ourselves from rotting from the inside out by being in a strong community of believers who hold us accountable, who help us along. Acts 2.42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. This was the plan for success for the disciples. This is how one small group would leave a legacy on the whole world. What does it mean to be devoted? Sold out. You put God's words and teaching first in your life. Profound dedication. What does it mean to be committed to fellowship? To be in a community of believers, to be together. And they weren't together just for social things. They're also together together for the breaking of bread and prayer. But I think the key word in this passage is themselves. It's plural. It's plural. This group of ragtag fishermen, tax collectors, farmers changed the world. The legacy they left has turned the world upside down. If we want to impact the world in even a fraction of the way the disciples did, it starts with community. John 13, 34, 35 says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We start by building our community, and then we are able to impact our wider community. When we have a loving, caring community, when we're family, it's something, it's a magnet that draws other people in. They see that and go, that's what I want. When they see a community come together, and they see us so focused on helping other people, and I'm bringing the love of God and the light of God into our community, people go, wow. When they see us coming together and working as a team, our community goes, wow. And it's a magnet that starts to draw people in. I don't know if you've noticed, but over the last couple weeks, we've had many new faces in our church. When you stand up here, you get to see them clearer. But, We're already starting to attract more people as we start to come together. God's on the move. He's working in our midst. How do we truly build community? Well, it starts with your relationship with Jesus. It always does. When our relationship with Jesus is where it should be, we are better equipped to connect with others. Jesus is the key ingredient in all of our community. Where are you at in your relationship with Him? Have you invited him into your life? If not, today could be the beginning of the most powerful relationship and community you will ever experience in your life. And I'd invite you to make that decision today. To those of you who are already believers, and you've entered into a relationship with Jesus, I'd like to give you the opportunity to partner together with others moving forward. So um, if the worship team can come on up, one of the things I want, you, want to do during this time is they're playing their, the song and um, as we're entering into a time of just reflecting and hearing God's voice, we've had a series of four different parts, lots of things that have been preached to you and taught to you about being in community. And really what God is just putting on my heart is how are you going to respond? What decisions are you going to make right now? Mono's message even last week really summarized, pulled it together, it's zooming out. But right now, I want you to zoom in. What is God saying to you? What is he calling you to do right now, so that you can better zoom out? What during this series, when we've talked about we're better, when we have others helping us along, um, when we're, you know, maybe the part, the, the the sermon on... Sometimes we have to connect with crazy people. Maybe that connected with you. Maybe God put someone on your heart. But whatever it is, and any one of these four sermons that you've heard that God has put on your heart, what I want you to do today is not leave here without having talked to someone and shared it with them and and maybe had someone pray with you. Or maybe you just need to sit there and spend a little time in prayer with God and say, okay, God, this is the part. This is the, this, you spoke to me last week and I was wanting to respond and I didn't. Or you spoke to me two weeks ago and you were wanting to re- me to respond and I didn't. What is it that God's putting on your heart? I want you to take action today. I want you to act on it. I want you, maybe you need to come up here and pray with someone on our ministry team. I don't want you to miss that opportunity. Too often we go, ah, okay, God is telling me this and we forget about it. We leave here and we go throughout the week and we forget about it. But once you've talked to someone, and you've acted on, you've had someone pray with you, even just sharing with someone beside you, hey, that's part really impacted me. We've started that first step and that second step of talking to others throughout the week will be even easier. So I don't want you to leave here without spending some time with God and sharing with someone what is it that God has put on your heart through this series that you are supposed, to, you're called to do, that He's wanting you do, to do to better build community to bring more people into your family and to better shine the light of Jesus into our community, our lives, our families, our kids, wherever. So as they lead us in worship, that's what I want you to think about. That's what I want you to do. I want you to do something in some way. I want you to follow through and take action. First Kings 8.61 says, And may your hearts be fully committed to the Lord our God to live by his decrees and obey his commands as at this time. This is the time.
0: Thanks for listening online with us. We trust you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. If you have a prayer request or an encouraging story about what God has been doing in your life, please email us at amen at wcmc.ca. God bless.